the 6.2 text, the last I saw it, I think it was 44 pages. Most of that is just options, and it's usually about five, it seems like, for per set of decisions, which right. is still, yeah, as you can tell, that's, that's a lot of decisions that still need to be debated before they're finalized. Kelly Hemrick Malvar has been following climate negotiations here at year-end climate talks in Dubai. Specifically, she's following negotiations around Article 6, the part of the Paris Agreement that deals with international carbon credits. Talks remain stalled over which types of carbon removal activities should be recognized and how nature-based solutions will be treated. The issue at the moment is not is nature going to be excluded and outright, but will the rule sets be such that effectively it's excluded. Man may be unwittingly changing the world's climate through the waste products of his civilization. There's a group of us now who are proposing that the Earth has actually entered a new epoch, and that is the Anthropocene. We know that the enemy is carbon, and we know its ugly face. We should put a big fat price on it, and of course, add to that, drop the subsidies. Article 6 of the Paris Agreement governs international carbon credits. And today's guest, my former Ecosystem Marketplace colleague, Kelly Hamrick Malvar, has been following the negotiations for the Nature Conservancy. At issue is how three key paragraphs, Article 6.2, 6.4, and 6.8, will be implemented. 6.2 provides a framework within which countries can trade among themselves bilaterally or multilaterally. And Article 6.4 provides a centralized mechanism administered by the United Nations. Article 6.8 covers non-market transfers. It's apropos that I'm getting this from Kelly because my coverage for the month of December is being sponsored by Ecosystem Marketplace, without which neither I nor Kelly would be where we are today. Ecosystem Marketplace is the world's leading provider of news and views on payments for ecosystem services. Ecosystem Marketplace, making the priceless valuable. Kelly Hamrick Malvar. Um, I just added that last bit. Uh, but I've been working in the carbon market space for over a decade. I'm losing track of how many years. Mm -hmm. I can uh, probably remember it since we worked, <laughs> worked together. Probably, yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I worked, I worked for uh, most of the time at Ecosystem Marketplace, writing reports and trying to track carbon markets. And in the last couple of years, I uh, have been working at the Nature Conservancy largely doing the same thing, mostly tracking the carbon markets, but also trying to push for, you know, better rule sets around the integrity of these markets. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember back when, when I knew more about what was going on in these things than you do. Now I've got to chase you down to find out what's happening. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I appreciate you taking the time to, to speak with me because I know how crazy these things are. Mm -hmm. uh, now you've been inside the, the halls. I've been out there talking to country representatives, and it's very mm -hmm. interesting to see how the country representatives, generally speaking, they're just moving full throttle ahead on Article 6.2, mm -hmm. fully expecting it to be operational soon. Mm -hmm. I mean, soon mean, meaning not, not like, I mean, they're already acting as if it is. Yeah. The people I'm talking to have uh, essentially come to terms with the idea that 6.4 isn't going to be, isn't, it's not going to be there for a while. That's kind of what they're saying. Um, what's happening? What are, you, what are you hearing on the inside? 
Yeah, so I do think we're at a really interesting inflection point this year where there are decisions that remain under 6.2 and 6.4 texts. Um, but you're right, a lot of the decisions now really rest within individual countries on their own legislation on how they want to engage with carbon markets, who they are going to appoint to work on this, um, what they're going to authorize, things like that. So really, a lot of the power is within countries to figure out how they're going to deal with Article 6. More of that power, though, is within Article 6.2, which is really basically gives much more flexibility to countries on how they want to cooperate together and trade. And there's not so much of kind of a prescriptive set of rules that they have to follow. Mm -hmm. um, Article 6.4 does have a prescriptive set of rules. So the kind of pros and cons that I like to use when talking about it, 6.2 is going to be more flexible. It might be harder to scale up because generally countries are setting up mem memorandums of understanding with kind of each potential buyer and seller prospective country. And obviously that takes a lot more time and isn't as scalable. Whereas 6.4, theoretically, it's going to be a more centralized approach, kind of like what we see in the voluntary carbon markets. It's like there's going to be like a VERA or a gold standard, but this is going to be a UN standard. But until that gets set up, until we have those rules, until we have those methodologies, it's a much slower kind of on-ramp. But I think once that's decided, then it'll be much faster. Makes sense, makes sense. And I know one, one of the issues that uh, they're talking about now is uh, linkages between 6.4 and 6.2. I think we can loop back to that. One thing I wanted to see if we could talk about a bit is what you just alluded to, is what countries have to do to mm -hmm. participate in 6.2. It's interesting how uh, talking to these countries, um, I mean, they're all going full speed ahead, mm -hmm. trying to make linkages, but they're not really being public about it yet. And one reason I'm hearing is there's too many pieces of government active in this. Yeah. Like, you know, the, the ministers might be here, the minister of environment is talking to another minister of environment. He doesn't even have legislation that tells him what he can do. Yeah. I mean, and they're, and they're all saying the same thing, that even with, with them, within Article 6.2, as they move ahead, it's going to be slow going, unless you're Rwanda and have already kind of moved ahead of the game. Mm -hmm. um, it's going to be slow going until they get all their ducks in a row. And they're talking to each other, too. It's very interesting. Um, Zambia wants to know what Rwanda has done. Which you know? is great to hear. Yeah, they're, they're talking to each other. They're picking each other's brains. Mm -hmm. And that, that at least the African countries that I've been talking to fully expect that, that there's going to be a, a lot of activity once they all get over this big hump. I think so. So yeah, I think where a lot of countries are, if they want to go the 6.2 route, it gives more flexibility, but that means you need to have more decision-making early on, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so for a lot of countries, the ones that I consider to maybe be a little bit further along the process are ones with domestic legislation that, as you say, clearly spells out who is the decider mm -hmm. on this. Is it the Ministry of Environment? Do they have to work with you know, the Ministry of Forestry or Ministry of Industry or, or other things like that? How does that all work? You know, If there's a single set of legislation that's national legislation, that's really important to clarify. Most countries haven't gotten to that point yet. Mm -hmm. The other piece is, you know, what exactly are they going to allow available for sale? Mm -hmm. um, are there certain sectors that they want or don't want to include? Um, another piece then is how do you do that, right? So under 6.2, because there's so much flexibility, you can either use an international registry that's going to be developed under 6.2, or you can use your own national registry. So countries can decide, okay, do we, do we make our own registry? So as you say, that's a ton of decisions that they have to go through. I think once they have all those in place, it's a lot easier than to replicate, okay, you know, if I'm a country and I'm selling to Switzerland, I can also then 
quite easily make another kind of MOU with Singapore or with Japan or others if I already have all those kind of decisions pre-baked mm-hmm. and ready to go. Mm-hmm. But those are not easy decisions. No, no. And then the, the other option is to use a registry like Vera or yeah. something that exists. Um, why are countries putting so much effort into building their own registries? I don't, what is the value in having a registry of their own? You know, so I think the value is not even looking at Article 6, but looking at kind of historical volunteering compliance markets, right? So like thinking about Colombia, for example. Colombia has had a couple of different initiatives. They've had like the uh, USAID come in and and help them with some Red Plus projects. They've had what's called the Red Plus Early Movers Fund, which is, you know, Norway and Germany and I think the UK investing in other parts of the country. They've had the Amazon Fund. They've had Forest Carbon Partnership Facility. I'm only talking about Red Plus. And if you try and look at all these different initiatives, they all have different ways of tracking what's going on and different registries they're using. And so it makes total sense if you're Columbia looking at, okay, in the last 15 years, we've had all these different things happening. We want a comprehensive view of what's going on across our whole country. Mm-hmm. But as you say, the downside then is if each country has their own registry, how do they all work together? I mean, that's right. a little extra complicated than using an international registry that already exists. Right, right. Um, maybe we can pivot to, to, the, to the negotiations themselves. What, mm-hmm. are the, the, what are the main issues and what are the sticking points right now? I know the big one on 6.4 is the methodology for removals. Maybe we can build up to that. Sure. Start with some of the simpler things and then we'll come to that one. So I think at its heart, the biggest issue with Article 6 every year is that you have these three different piece parts. You've got 6.2, 6.4, and 6.8. Each have different degrees of negotiation that need to happen. Some which, you know, I would say are probably more important than others. (laughs) (laughs) But regardless of how important each one is perceived to be, they all need to progress at roughly the same time. Mm -hmm. And that's always the sticking point, especially in week two, as some negotiations might be moving a little faster than others, which... Of course, that happens, right? Um, But you have countries who feel, oh, no, 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 maybe 6.2 is moving too fast compared to 6.8, or 6.4 is moving faster than 6.2. And so not only do you have to resolve all these issues, but you have to resolve them all at around the exact same time. Right. That's always the biggest issue every year with Article 6. Yeah. And it was even like, it was like that even before Article 6 came along because you'd have something moving. Absolutely. And then we had to wait for everything else to catch up, and there'd always be some little sticking point Mm -hmm. that would hold everything up. Now, what are the specific issues they're looking at? A lot of it is technical issues of templates and things like this. Uh, Maybe, but they are important. Maybe you can talk about those and let us know. Yeah. 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 So under 6.2, which again is that kind of trading, more flexible approach, you know, we've already seen a lot of pilots happening. So it's Mm -hmm. not that we're waiting for anything before pilots can happen. But uh, as you say, it's a lot of these technical issues. It's around how do you track everything? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, how are you going to make sure that if you use a different registry or if you use this international one, how do they all speak to each other? There's a lot of talk about what we call interoperability, mm-hmm. which is basically how do these credits kind of compare across different registries and, and not just compare, but, but potentially trade between different registries. Um, all of those are really big questions. There's also a few outstanding questions around kind of what activities are allowed. Mm -hmm. So under 6.2, because it's so flexible, there's actually a part that says you can trade non-greenhouse gas emissions reductions. Wow, I didn't even know that. No one's quite sure what this non-GHG metric piece is. It's very open. Um, I'd never heard of that. It's not, it's (laughs) honestly not, I think they're punting on that this year as well. I think that's going to be on next year's docket. Mm -hmm. But there's questions about that. There's questions about emissions avoidance. 
Is that a new type of activity? Is it already included under emissions reductions and removals activities? That's a huge question mark. Yeah, and I've been, I mean, it makes my brain hurt. It's mm -hmm. just a word. I mean, to me, avoidance and, re and reductions are the same, yeah. but now some, yeah. It's interesting. I did a little <laughs> bit of research on this last year when okay. it came out. Um, so under the kind of pre-existing Kyoto Protocol uh, clean development mechanism, if you search for the term avoidance, there are methodologies that have avoidance in the name. I think one is composting. I think there's like a landfill one. Um, but it's not defined anywhere. Right, And right. it's not defined anywhere in the Paris Agreement. There's no definition of avoidance. And if you think about like Red Plus projects, which obviously I think about a lot because I work at a nature organization, you have reducing emissions from deforestation and forest degradation, which is reductions. But people often use the word avoided deforestation as well. So there's a question of, is that avoidance? Yeah. Nobody knows. There's no definition. Generally speaking, when people think about avoidance in the kind of UN context, they usually think about a proposal by Ecuador about, I think, 10 years ago, which was to avoid producing and extracting gas and oil from the Yasuni Preserve. But again, that's not a definition. Um, and right. so it's very up in the air of what does this even mean and, and what's included. Our particular take is there's different options on the table for negotiators to consider, but I think any type of avoidance is probably already included under reductions or removals, and we should just go with that. Yeah. I mean, before the term red was coined in 2005, I think, the term was avoided deforestation. Yeah. That's what we all taught as well. Then suddenly this term red popped up. It just seemed to be a little bit... I mean, and so it's horribly confusing. Yeah, yeah, and that, and, and I know that, and I did a piece <laughs> on the contradictory. Yeah, and I yeah. did a piece on the origin of the of the term. It was just a a, a catchier term. That's mm -hmm. all it was. It wasn't meant to be a technical definition. Yeah, um, and it stuck. <laughs> so, so that and that is now. Does that apply to this issue of avoidance, uh, and that that ends up impacting nature-based solutions? Is that does that apply to six point two, or is it only under six point four? So both 6.2 and 6.4 have this question of emissions avoidance. And again, mm -hmm. I would say depending on what negotiator you talk to and depending on which observer like myself you talk to, you'll get different opinions on whether or not that should or would include nature. You know, mm -hmm. our read is that it would not because it's already a reduction activity and a removal activity, and that's pretty clear. Um, you know, generally the only country that seems to really be pushing avoidance in the negotiations right now has been the Philippines. Um, and I, I'm not entirely sure what their thinking is on kind of you know what activity that would be that they want to use it for. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's nature, um, but it is. But that is being um, considered both under 6.2 and 6.4. Right. Yeah. And again, it, it's interesting that these countries I'm talking to are all going ahead with red type projects on the assumption that they'll be in. Mm -hmm. They could be in. And, it, and it, what if what if somehow it doesn't get recognized? They, they would. So I think that's that. That touches on, I think, some of the more tense negotiations happening right now in the 6.2 room, which mm -hmm. is that, you know, for the most part, 6.2 was really saying, we're not going to go too far into detail on what exactly you're trading. We're going to leave that up to the supplier and buyer countries to kind of figure out in your agreement. Um, what's happening now that we're seeing with the text is that there's a bunch of options, so it means no one can agree. Right. Um, but some of the options are very detailed. Um, and, and probably some countries would say maybe they're a little overly prescriptive on saying you have to do this, 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 and this. Other options are saying you don't need to do anything. Um, so there's a huge range right now. And I'm not sure which way the text is going to ultimately end up going. Um, but, you know, if, if it goes a more prescriptive route, then maybe you could have additional requirements 
that weren't present, not just for Red Plus, but for any initial 6.2 pilots. Maybe you're going to have some additional requirements popping up. And if you're a country that's already doing a pilot, you're wondering, well, how do I integrate that into what I've already been agreeing, right? Um, and that's a huge question and huge concern. I think it's going to depend on kind of which which piece parts are going to go through if, if, they, if you do get that more kind of in-depth piece, if it mm -hmm. actually would impact trading. But, but yeah, I would say that's not, that's not just for Red Plus, that's for any trades right now. If they end up going this more prescriptive route, that could be potentially frustrating, I would right, say. Right, right, okay. <laughs> and um, no, what, what, there was this issue, I, uh, we, we, should, we should maybe talk a little bit about the, the, the structure of a text. I think mm -hmm. with us, we know when you talk about brackets, we know what that means, and yeah. a lot of people don't, don't understand that. But when you look at a text and half of it's in brackets, brackets mm -hmm. means it's, it's somebody got it inserted, but it hasn't been adopted and it will probably mm -hmm. disappear or be blended into something else. Yeah, basically within the text, there's kind of a few different levels. I mean, until the text has been agreed, anything in the text could change, mm -hmm. even if it's bracketed right. or not. But yeah, as you say, if, if brackets are introduced around a certain word or phrase, that usually means it's more contentious issue. And so it could remain, but there might need to be some trading going on between countries on who really wants that versus who might want a different set of brackets. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing we see often, what I was talking about before, are options. So a lot of times, instead of having everything bracketed, the text might say, okay, here are five potential options that could be the answer to this question. But these five are usually not, you don't get all five, you have to choose one, right? right. Like they're usually contradictory. So if you choose one, you can't get the others. Right. Um, and to be frank right now, the, the 6.2 text, the last I saw it, I think it was 44 pages. Most of that is just options, and it's usually about five, it seems like, for per set of decisions, which right. is still, yeah, as you can tell, that's, that's a lot of decisions that still need to be debated before they're finalized. There was one in there yesterday uh, about Article 5 being recognized in Article 6. Do you know about that? That yeah, was confusing um, to me, because Article 5 mm -hmm. is only country to country. You can't have, it's not a, it doesn't involve companies, right? Well, so Article 5 is just a totally separate piece, right? right so the, right. so Article 6 is the carbon markets article. Article 5 is talking about forests. And there is a piece in there that says we need more fi finance yeah. to stop deforestation, right. which I don't think anyone disagrees with. Right. Um, and they say within that piece under 5.2, there's a little bit about we really need more results-based finance. Right. So as countries are proving that they're you know reducing deforestation or halting degradation, they should be rewarded for that financially. Mm -hmm. um, so there is a group of countries that sees that payment mechanism as being very similar to what we're trying to build under Article 6, and they'd like there to be an official link. There are a lot of other countries who really don't want any link whatsoever, and so to be, to be totally honest, every year, I think, in the last two or three years that I've been tracking this, <laughs> usually there's some mention of Article 5 right. that then gets later taken out. So right. I, if I had to predict... the countries that put it in, too. Yeah, <laughs> if I had to predict, I, I think it probably wouldn't remain in because it hasn't the last couple of years, mm -hmm. but, you know, who knows? Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, a negotiation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, the big one that everyone is worried about is 6.4, mm -hmm. the assumption being nothing's going to happen this year. Yeah. And... Uh, I saw one woman on a panel the other day was saying that the negotiators have ensured themselves negotiating jobs for the next two to three years. <laughs> what, what, are, what are the holdups on Article 6.4? So I'd say big picture. Mm -hmm. um, Article 6.4 is in large part kind of a continuation and an improvement on the clean development mechanism mm -hmm. under the Kyoto Protocol. 
And so at its heart, the biggest issue that we're running up against is that there's a bunch of clean development mechanism project developers and projects who are wondering, can we transition into this new 6.4 mechanism? Mm -hmm. And that was explicitly kind of recognized in some of the earlier agreements. And they said, there will be a chance for you to apply. Um, we won't just accept everyone. We're going to have to update the methodologies, which makes total sense. A lot mm -hmm. of these methodologies are 20 years old. It's time for a reevaluation and hopefully a reassessment of kind of what the latest science is. Um, but there's a deadline in there mm -hmm. that says, I believe, uh, if you're one of these project developers, you need to apply by the end of 2024, which mm -hmm. is next year. Right. Um, and the problem is at the moment, under 6.4, there are no methodologies that have been approved for anyone to apply for. Um, and that's because two of the documents that are up for debate right now, which you referenced one of them, one is basically on how do you approach removals-based methodologies, and the other is on how do you approach methodologies in general. Mm -hmm. So basically, probably reduction-based ones, right? So that's like the framework. Right. You need that framework before you can start to say, here are specific methodologies that are eligible, mm -hmm. and you need those specific methodologies before all these CDM project developers can apply to transition by the end of next year. Right. Um, so there's a really big time crunch and it's it's hugely <laughs> important I think that you know that kind of that sequencing has to happen that way. And so I do think that is the big worry right now is everyone's worrying if these frameworks aren't approved. Right. There's no chance for approval then until next November, December. How on earth is that gonna work? Um, mm -hmm. so I do think the negotiators are feeling immense pressure to try and resolve this. Mm -hmm. But it remains to be seen on if they're actually going to make a decision or not. Right, right, right. And uh, but what is the key issue on this? Yeah, so the problem is that, so basically, because these are very technical issues, right? How do mm -hmm. you make a framework around methodologies? That's not something you have enough time at COP to discuss. Mm -hmm. And so what they did is they, the negotiators gave a mandate to the 6.4 supervisory body, which to be honest, is often made up of the same negotiators, but a smaller mm, amount. Right, so like 20, 24 people, Something right? like yeah. that, yeah. And so they basically said, okay, look, last year in Sharm el-Sheikh, they said, look, go meet throughout the year. I think they've met maybe eight times. They've met a lot of times. Was, I thought it was six times. Maybe, maybe six. It is eight. Yeah, okay. they've, met a, they've met fairly frequently throughout the year to really try and come up with all the details around these frameworks. Mm -hmm. And so they met again late November, just before COP. Right to really try and finalize it. And it really was kind of a last minute attempt to, we really need to get this done, we need to get this out. Um, because of that, you know, and it, because it's a negotiation process, not everyone's happy with where it ended up. Right. Um, you know, some people are saying, look, you're not being detailed enough. And this on is only on removals, just to, cla just to clarify. Yeah, yeah. It, exactly, it's more on removals, but as with everything with COP, both the overall framework and the removals framework are presented as a package. Mm -hmm. And so you can't just say we don't want the removals because then that means you also aren't going to get the overall methodological framework. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's all or nothing. Right, right, right. And there's no way 24 people can develop a methodology. No. It, so they're, they're creating like the rules for making... For, for, for assessing, yeah. Right. And I, I don't know all the details on that, but I think it would be something like, you know, if there is a methodology, you can maybe submit it for review and then they make sure it meets kind of the framework requirements. Yeah, but they're not going to be creating their own right. methodology. And it'll go through public consultation and everything. And I'd assume so. I, ha I don't remember right. that, but okay. I, would, I would hope so. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't <laughs> read that document. I didn't, I, you know, normally I would have read up on this and I've come in cold. So it sounds like I may have misunderstood something or the countries have misunderstood something because everyone I'm talking to 
is going on the assumption that you'll be able to do red and that you'll be, that nature will be available under 6.2 but that nature will not be might not even be recognized under 6.4 as a removal that it will all be just industrial what's that about i i mean i know what i know the perception and i just don't know the nitty gritty yeah, so I think, I mean, my, my understanding is that Article 6 in general is what we call sector agnostic. So it, mm-hmm. it's not saying from the outset that any sector can't be included. So, you know, from the outset, nature in Red Plus, I think, could be part of both 6.2 and 6.4. That said, as they're developing these details, there is this question of, okay, what are the specific requirements around things like how do you deal with the risk of impermanence or the risk of reversals? You know, so if, for example, the guidance were to come out and say anything that has a risk of reversals must ensure permanence for a thousand years, then that would effectively cut out nature. They haven't said anything like that right now, Um, but there's that risk, right? So I think that's what everyone's really worried about is, is really it's in the details on what specifically is coming out in this removals guidance Mm -hmm. and how does that impact nature. But at the moment... The text was pretty vague on some of those specific years and timelines, which then is why some of the negotiators are a little worried to approve it at this point. They, right. they want those details. And people want to know, okay, yeah, is that going to be like 40 years? Is that going to be 1,000 years? Is yeah. it going to be, you know, 100 years? I mean, right. those are very different things, right? Um, so I think that's the issue at the moment is not is nature going to be excluded and outright, but will the rule sets be such that effectively... It's excluded. As happened with the CDM, with those temporary credits that nobody bought. Exactly. So the CDM um, basically said, we're not sure how to deal with this potential reversal issue. And so we're going to actually issue a totally separate type of credit, a temporary credit, compared Mm. to everything else for afforestation, reforestation. And as you said, it's... It basically effectively killed any demand for that type of credit. Mm -hmm. Um, So I do think this year, you know, there's been a ton of science. There's been a ton of work. I mean, in the voluntary carbon markets since the CDM was created, there's been so much demand for nature-based credits. And there are all these new things like buffer pools and kind of other like risk insurance mechanisms to try and deal with this reversal risk. And so, you know, our hope as a science-based organization and the Nature Conservancy is that they would be including all those updates and all that new science and those new kind of approaches. Um, So that's what we'd like to see. Kelly Hamrick closing out this episode of Bionic Planet, coming to you from year-end climate talks here in Dubai, brought to you by our sponsor, Ecosystem Marketplace. If you want more and better episodes, you can help as well by becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash bionic planet. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash bionic planet. There you can support me for as little as $1 per episode and with a monthly cap. The address again is patreon.com forward slash bionic planet. You can also help by giving me an honest five-star review on whichever platform you access me through. That helps because the more stars I get, the more ears I get. And the more ears I get, the more minds we can reach. We must reach hundreds of millions of minds if we're to meet the climate challenge. We can do it if we all work together. Until next time, I'm Steve Zwick in Dubai. Thanks for listening.